Last week I introduced the theme, the theme for these two weeks, and what God put in my heart was the title, Here Comes the Fire. Now we get all excited about that because we think God's just going to zap us with it. But I also expounded that I don't believe God's going to randomly zap us, but it's going to be those that purposely position themselves for the fire. And it's something that will come upon us, but it's more like a blazing fire is going to catch hold on the inside of us. And we're going to look back and think, oh my, it's not my doing. It's only by God's grace. Amen. So, Father, I do thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Father, that uh, you're faithful. You are such a faithful God. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would give me utterance in the Holy Ghost, that the word of God would have free course, that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge, that it won't be just to our head, but that it will, it will penetrate our spirit man and become part of us. And I just commit the whole of this service to you. And Father, I just thank you that everything you've purposed, Everything according to the blueprint of heaven for this service will be accomplished. And in agreement, we say, amen, amen, so be it, amen. So I really didn't prepare for today <laughs> because what it's going to be is I'm just going to share what's been happening in my life this last year. And it's really been supernatural as I look back on it. And my emphasis today is going to be a heart for the lost. And it is what's going to position you for a blaze of fire on the inside of you. And we know it's harvest time. And, you know, if you're a farmer, you realize when it's harvest time, you better get that harvest in. There's an allotted time for you to reap. And especially... They have to accelerate even more if there is a storm coming. And I'll tell you, there's a storm a-brewing in this hour, and it's already drawing close. Amen. We're already feeling, you know, like a tornado or a hurricane. It might be in the distance a little bit, but you're feeling the wind already. You're feeling the repercussions already. So there's a storm coming. And so we need to be harvesters in this hour. So in just sharing about two weeks ago, I was just like, I, I want to condense, you know, to be able to convey what I've been experiencing. So the words just started coming and I just started writing. So I'm going to just read a, uh, a portion uh, just for the sake of time and to be concise. So hear my heart. Okay. Are you ready? It took about a year to solidify my vision. My husband had graduated to heaven, leaving me searching for my lost bearings. Did you ever lose your bearings? I've always been a goal-oriented person, always wanting to make a real difference in life. Now, my goals in my spiritual life, finances, health, they came easy enough. I'm redirecting my life. But the bullseye center of my vision board was fuzzy. Now, I knew the importance of vision being crystal clear and laser focused, but I needed clarity. So in my searching, I just, I'm sorry. I discovered a longing so deep and strong that all others paled in comparison. That longing now defines my vision. That longing has to do with a single moment in time, the moment when I stand before Jesus and give an account of my stewardship on earth. I visualize myself waiting in line, and then it's my turn. And I step up, and his eye, I'm sorry, okay. His eyes fall upon me, 
and a huge smile breaks out across his face. His eyes light up with pleasure and delight, and his voice heralds the long-awaited declaration. Well done, my good and faithful daughter. Come unto me, receive my embrace, and enter into my joy. Then he stretches out his arms in his perfect love, affection, and approval envelop me forever. That moment in time means everything. That moment in time is worth living for. The year leading up to my husband's passing, I had been around many ailing people with several who had stepped over into eternity. I had shared the gospel some, but I knew I had fallen way short of the potential my circumstances had presented. Now hear this. I became keenly aware that on that day when I stand before Jesus, my stewardship will include my effectiveness as a witness for Christ and how I shared the gospel with others. As I came face to face with my insufficiency and lack of boldness, I turned to God in sheer helplessness. I can't do this on my own. I can't become who you want me to be. You must work in me the desire, the ability, and the boldness to become an effective witness, to become a skillful fisher of men. You must do a work of grace on the inside of me. And then the Holy Spirit just started birthing an intense burden for the lost. It was consuming. At times I was gripped with heart-wrenching grief, and other times with intense loving compassion. Those verses like 1 Peter 5, 9, the Lord is, wi- is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Those verses just came alive like never before, and I could feel God's heart in that he does not want even one person to go to hell. You know that the National Day of Prayer, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> this is the morning. I'm just going to let it, I'm just being vulnerable and I'm going to be transparent. But, you know, on that day, I didn't really feel like praying for the government. I just didn't. Okay. I didn't have any words. I sure didn't feel like it. But then he, he started, the Lord started sharing with me about how the Paul was silent. Yeah. Paul, who was the apostle, how corrupt he was and how he was murdering people and, and so forth. And how God knocked him off his high horse. And he was radically changed. And then he took me to ne- uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he was so lifted up in pride. You know, and he's like, you better change your ways. And he didn't change his ways. He actually went, you know, just was really, he'd had a, he'd had a repentant time, but then he went right back to his pride and his arrogance. And what did God do in that case? He actually lifted his hand in such a way that he lost his mind and he was out like an animal eating grass. But you know what? His heart turned. So it came into my heart to never give up on anyone. Because those scriptures are true, that when you have God's heart, his heart is not, that not even one person would go to the hell. That's just inconceivable. Uh, So I want to ask you this really important question. How many have a favorite fuzzy blanket? It's not a trick question, seriously. (laughs) How many, I mean, the end of a day, the end of the day, you just curl up on the couch and maybe you read a book or you watch a show on television. It wasn't very many. I thought there would be more. Well, I have one. I love it. And it's, uh, you know, they're just the right texture, you know, and my favorite color is like that happy green, you know, so I really like my fuzzy blanket. 
But I felt like God said to me and spoke to my heart that the church has a fuzzy blanket syndrome. Now, what do I mean by that? It's about our attitude. We as Christians, you know, we are safe and secure. We're comfy and cozy. We're heaven bound. We got our ticket, our seats reserved, and we're as snug as a bug in a rug. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, let the rest of the world go to hell. Now, we don't say that, not outright, but by our actions or lack thereof, that's exactly what we're saying. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, I think I gave that scripture, 2 Timothy 3, just 1 and 2, I'm sure we're all familiar with this. This culture of the last days is kind of summed up in that first two verses. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. The New Living Translation says this, for people will love only themselves and their money. In other words, man, the culture is going to be very self-absorbed and self-centered. And what I'm submitting to you is that just possibly the spirit of the culture has infiltrated the church. Uh, My pastor shared a story recently, it was, and it's just, you know, when someone says something, just go, oh, kind of just hits you in the gut, hits you in the chest. And uh, the story was, he said a believer that he knew, a friend that he knew, was complaining that God wasn't answering all of his prayers. And, you know, we all can be there at times. And he said he heard, it was like an inward voice, okay? Holy Ghost saying, well, you know, you're there and you're complaining that I haven't done everything you want me to do. But I've been asking you to go across the street and share the gospel with your neighbor for the last year and you've refused to go. And we got to be careful as Americans because we are so blessed. And sometimes we become like children who we bellyache and we complain for not getting everything on our Christmas list. And we got to realize and keep things in perspective because we have been saved from a fiery hell. You know, we have, uh, we have beautiful families and we have homes. And we have resources. And, you know, talk about resources. We have so many Bibles in our houses. You know what I'm saying? We've had teachings upon teachings and revelation upon revelation. And then we have the Holy Ghost. He's our partner and he's one with us. So I'm just saying we need to keep things in perspective. Now, I feel like in this season of my life, I'm not moving as much as pastoral as I am prophetic. So take that into Take that into consideration with what I'm just gonna what I'm gonna say next. Sometimes when I'm in church services and I hear us as Americans, now hear my heart, okay? Talking about woe is me and all my trials and all my tribulations and all my suffering, let's get a grip here. I'm not saying we don't go through tough times. I'm not saying that. But maybe we need to spend some time with the underground church in China. Or maybe we need to spend some time in the re-education camps of North Korea. Or maybe we need to go to Sudan where they're murdering Christians. Third world country where you go in a store and the shelves are bare. I went to uh, this past week to Diener's Smorgasbord to celebrate um, a dear, precious friend of mine. She's actually like a stepmom to me. And we were talking about shady maples, you know? (laughs) And you know, sometimes you're just like, in these situations, sometimes there's just, should never be that many decisions for us to have to make. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, glory, okay. 
Whew. All right. So anyway, it came across my path. Now, I'm not talking down to anyone. I'm telling you, this is what I, where I was coming from, how God was convicting me and how God was saying, let's get a grip here and let's just make some changes. Okay. So I came across this word, depraved indifference. And I know Pastor James has said this. I've heard him say it. He said, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. At least when somebody hates you, they kind of like, at least their emotions got riled up because you hurt them. You know what I'm saying? Or you offended them in some way because they mean something to you. But indifference, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. They don't even care to respond. You're like as nothing. You're insignificant, you know? So then I came across this depraved indifference, which is a legal term. And you actually can be prosecuted and you can be sentenced uh, for this crime of depraved indifference. And I'm going to just read uh, just a short definition. In United States law, depraved indifference murder, also known as depraved Heart murder is a type of murder where an individual acts with a depraved indifference to human life and where such an act results in death, despite that individual not explicitly intending to kill. Depraved indifference is a type of conduct that lacks so much, so much regard for the life of another person that it may warrant criminal liability to the same degree as a person intentionally committing a crime. One more. The law considers that person's indifference or lack of concern for the risk to the life of another that it's so grave that the actions could be considered as a crime as if the person had malicious intent. So you got it. You, you guys understand what I'm saying. So a friend was sharing a story with me, and he said that he was on a highway, and he was in the passing lane. And this car came up beside him, you know, I mean, it was 120, he said maybe 130, just crazy driving. And after a while, he gets up to it, he sees it in the side of the road, and it's caught on fire and the whole deal. And anyway, he gets up to it. He was the first one there, and then people started gathering. So he pulls over, he gets out of his car, and he sees this large woman. She's very large. She's in the driver's seat. She's severely intoxicated, either with alcohol or drugs. You know, he didn't know. He said flames were starting to come through the floorboard. He opens the door to get her out, and by that time, another, a, a number of people had gathered. And they started yelling out to him, because don't touch her, don't help her, because that's, you know, the fear of getting sued. You know, the, anyway. So he's like, I just can't stand here and let her die. So he pulls her out. And uh, I thought it was a good example, because none of the other people would have moved. And, of course, there was a nurse that had pulled over, but it did take the police about 10, between 10 and 15 minutes to get there. Now, I have a little clip that, is, is that ready? Is it going to play here or sides? The sides? Here and the sides. Okay. This is from the movie um, A Man Called Otto. Okay. So I'm not necessarily reckon, reckon, uh, recommending it, but um, it's Tom... Tom Hanks is in it, and it's a remake of a foreign film. And the theme is his wife has, has recently died, and he's devastated, and he's trying to end his life. But his neighbors keep unknowingly interfering and intervening. So here, this is just a short clip, but I, I'm using it to drive home the point that I'm trying to say today. Um, and this is him trying to commit suicide uh, in one of his ways. So... So that's Tom Hanks. <laughs> Can you see it? 
it's kind of ridiculous, but it's not ridiculous because that probably would happen in some scenarios and settings. So everybody's filming and everybody's taking pictures, but no one's actually helping. And I just thought it was pretty uh, good at driving home the depraved indifference that we can have sometimes. And in the church, I think sometimes we've pacified ourselves. You, you know, our flesh does not like to be uncomfortable or inconvenient. And back to the fuzzy blanket, I think it was purposeful that John the Baptist had camel's hair, his coat. It was like, it was coarse. It's right, because we need to get uncomfortable. We need to take risks because the fruit is out of, on the branch, into the branches. Um, and so what we do instead of, uh, you know, going out there and, and taking the risks, um, we pacify ourselves, and we have to be very careful. Um, and I'm not saying God doesn't want to bless us, or there shouldn't be excellence in ministry, but I think too often we allow good things to be an excuse or a subtle substitute for obeying the Great Commission. Because we're, we're crying out, we need more teaching. And we do. I'm not saying, I'm not against it. Deeper revelation. We need more activities. We need more ministries. Uh, we need the latest and the greatest. And we need the bigger and the better. We need more fellowship and recreation. Because, by the way, I mean, I'm really stressed. So, <laughs> I read this book. Uh, it was by a Baptist preacher. I don't read after a lot of Baptists, but it was called Real Evangelism. I have never, ever been convicted more than I was by this book. And I've been around a while. It was like I was nailed to the wall because he took different chapters where we have been consumed or used as an excuse the other things instead of uh, doing the Great Commission. Uh, Revelations 20. I think I gave that to them. You have that? Okay. I don't have it written out. So we're going to, it's just a pretty long, not long. It's just a couple of verses, but I need to make this point. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Wow. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Let me read that again. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. It's not a good thing. By the things which were written in the books, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone, this is it. Okay, just hear this and let it penetrate. That this moment in time is going to come. It's going to be a real time a real moment, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I had a really, what's the word? I had to really grab a hold of myself and say, you're going to focus and you are going to do this. You're going to obey. If you remember last week, if you haven't heard last week, you need to hear it because I want to just—I just want to explain how we talked about 
how do we do this? How do we, how do we go about it? And to me, it was like this wall, this penetrable wall. I mean, I'd shared with some, but I couldn't get through it. My heart, I, I, I was, you know, I was concerned. I wanted to, and I couldn't get through it. And then all of a sudden, the light went on in my life where I said there's an operational system of the kingdom. There is an operational system of the kingdom. Everything operates this way. And what is it? Does anybody remember? It's by grace through faith. We receive everything like that. Everything's already given. So if God tells us to do something, we can have a knowing that the provision or the grace is already been provided. And if we can get that, it makes all the difference in the world. So one day that just went off on the inside of me. I know the general will of God. I know the general plan of God, which is in all through the New Testament, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 4, 19, uh, Jesus says to Peter, I will make you fishers of men, which applies to us also. I'm going to, uh, Romans 10, 13 and 14. This is in the New Living Translation. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how shall they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? How, shall, how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So grace, when I think of the word grace... I don't think of greasy grace, okay? When I think of grace, I think of provision, enablement, and empowerment. And I think throughout the working of Scripture, God really loves when we get to the end of ourselves, when we humble ourselves and say, I can't do it, I can't get it together, uh, I can't earn it, deserve it, merit it, you know, God, you come to your end, end of yourself, you humble yourself, and he says, if you'll humble yourself, what's going to happen? He gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. So I realize I need his grace. Okay, so if God, so we realize if God, if Jesus commands it, if God commands it, that tells us he's already made provision. Amen. The, the big provision that he's made, and once that, once that grabs our spirit man, our faith is act, activated. So, hallelujah, Holy Ghost is our empowerment. Amen? Acts uh, 1.8, Jesus said these disciples had walked with him for three years. They heard the teachings. They, heard the, they saw the miracles. They saw the healings, but they still were not equipped to go out. He says, wait in Jerusalem. They received the Holy Ghost. He says, you're going to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Holy Ghost is our empowerment. He is our ministry partner. So the deal is, hallelujah, Holy Ghost knows every person perfectly and intimately. He knows them inside out, upside down, backwards and forward. He knows their hearts. So faith is activated, and then we start accessing the provision. And I, I read, actually, when I was here last year, I had just come up with my decree. And if you were, those that were here remember it, uh, I have it here. Uh, I have and this is when it all started last year when I got this. I like, this is the will of God for me, and I can't make it happen. So I'm going to start, I'm going to receive this provision. I'll just read a little bit because for, for time's sake. I love sinners. I love unbelievers, and they love me. They are drawn to the light and glory of Jesus in my life. I'm continually presented with divine appointments to share the gospel. And I make the most of every opportunity. I live prepared to boldly respond and communicate the truth of the gospel. The Holy Ghost teaches me what to say. He gives me the perfect words. My words are seasoned with grace and conviction. And it goes on. Then I made one for my neighborhood. 
And those that have been there, of course, uh, Travis Kiera and, and uh, Lindsay Anthony, they've been to my home in Florida, and it's just like a great big uh, track. It's, so people are always walking around, and they're out walking their dogs. And, and so I'm like, if I'm going to walk, I'm like, all of a sudden, this, I have authority. This is like my turf. And I just started, that's it. I mean, I am claiming, I am claiming everyone in my neighborhood for the, to be born again and, and, and for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, well, well, what about their will? Yes, they have a will, but I believe our stance in exercising our authority can make the atmosphere around their lives very conducive to coming to the Lord and very difficult for them to go to hell and not make the right decision. We, we underestimate the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, just a little bit of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, your will is that all men would be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Therefore, I thank you for the salvation of every person in my community. I believe every person will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Uh, I believe and decree the Holy Spirit is moving and working powerfully. He's creating a spiritual hunger in every heart. Ooh, glory. I decree that my neighborhood belongs to God. The enemy has no place. I decree blessing and protection over every household. And I, I go on and, and, and it goes on a little bit more. But uh, you got the... The, the, the sense of where, what happened in my heart. So anyway, <clears throat> Holy Ghost, remember I said there's two parts to our faith. We release our faith in a general sense of what, in what the, the general will of the Lord is. And then once that's activated, the second part is all we got to do is listen for the individual personal directives because when you release your faith in the general sense for concerning the general will of God then the directives will come you don't got to beg for them you don't even got to pray for them because you're a son of God and God has declared and decreed and committed your you will be led by the spirit of God so it's not about us trying to get God to speak to us he's speaking he promised he would it's about us hearing it's about us listening. So when I took this stance, then all of a sudden, individual directives started coming. So I'm going to just, I mean, I have shared with more people the gospel message in this last year than I probably have had my whole Christian life. Because I hit a flow of the Holy Ghost. And it's not me, it's him. But the first, I'm going to tell you my first one, uh, was my neighbor. Her name, I'm not going to tell, I won't say her name. But she's in, she's, she just uh, turned 91. So if God tells you to go to that person, you better not mess around, okay? <laughs> you better get your, your butt over there. And, but I was, I'm telling you, she's, she was from Britain. She's from Britain. Kind of a high society, you know what I'm saying? Uh, kind of, uh, she moved from England on her own to New York City. Worked in a real posh, posh posh hotel, then to Los Angeles, then to the villages, okay? And she was like the awesome entertainer. I mean, she'd have everything, high, kind of high society, you know what I'm saying? And I'll tell you, when the Holy Ghost told me to go over, her, over, go over to her house and share the gospel, I want to be really transparent. Everything in me was resisting and recoiling. Because I thought, if this doesn't go good, I mean, we're neighbors. And our, na and our neighborhood community is really knit, you know, knitted very tight. And it would go right through. That week was a week most miserable. Because I knew what I was to do. And I didn't want to do it. I mean, my flesh was squealing like a little pig. But God knows my heart. You know what I mean? He knows deep down this is what I want. And he's not going let, to let you go. He'll let you off the hook. It ain't got, there's only one way, and that's through. So uh, I think it was starting maybe the beginning of the week. It took me till Sunday. And I have discovered if you tell God you're going to do it, then he will take you at your word. And he'll kind of lift the, this, this miserable 
uneasy, uncomfortable uh, feelings. So I thought, how do I do it? So Sunday, I come home from church. Okay, this is it. So I call her and I say, can I come over and talk to you? And she's like, well, yes. Oh, but no, I have company coming tonight. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to go through another day. <laughs> it was like torture. <laughs> and then she says, no, um, I already have the food prepared. It's in the oven. I already have the table set. Come on over. And so I went over, and it was just so glorious. It was just, you know, I just explained salvation to her. She was so open. And I prayed with her, prayed with her the salvation prayer, and then prayed for her. As soon as I had done that, the next directive comes in my spirit. Now, this is a man that's down, it's, he's, he's in our neighborhood down the block a ways. And all I knew is he, had, he was on dialysis. And when I asked what his problems were, they always said there's too many to even talk about. Here again, if God's telling you to go share with them and they have a lot of problem, you know, issues, you don't want to mess around. How am I going to do this? Because I had less of a relationship with him. So uh, here again, this was a hard win to get my flesh. Here we go. And then, then, I, then, of course, the little bit I didn't know, he was from Philadelphia. He was a mechanic in the police department. And I had heard his kind of had a um, colorful language at times. You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of rough around the edges. So I really was like, how is this going to go? So uh, anyway, um, I didn't have his numbers. It was one of those knocks on the door. And I just kind of sensed like he would be a little caught off guard. But if I just say, I'm going to come back in a little bit, I need to talk to you. And he said, that'd be great. Come back. I think it was 2 o'clock. He said, come back at 4. So I thought, okay, great. And anyway, I came back at 4. And here again, I always try to make sure they know that there's sinners. That's really the deal. You got, you can't. They're not going to be prepared for grace if they don't know that they're a sinner. So I was kind of asking him, I said, you know, and he was like, well, the things that I've done, it'll take me several lifetimes to make penance. I'm like, okay, you're good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know you're a sinner. And anyway, uh, I prayed for him and his wife. They received the Lord. And I prayed for his, you know, healing and for his health. He's still going strong. We're just the best of friends, you know. And he tells other people, you know, that my pal, you know. And I, I really tell people, you know, once they, <laughs> once they know my background. Okay, so down there, <laughs> I have found that, you know, if I play pickleball, so you have a lot of relationships. So if there's a sense that a man would maybe be interested, you know, Hello, I'm just not there. All I have to do is just tell him my background, okay? And I just tell him I've been a my husband and I have been pastor for 30 years, and we've done mission work all over the world, da da da. And that just shuts us down really easy. <laughs> so anyway, uh, oh glory, okay. Um, but then uh, I've had since that. It just gets easier and easier, and it's just a flow of the Holy Ghost. And it just has happened like that. I'd share with one person. Every time it's been positive. Every time it's been glorious. And the next, after I share with them, another person comes in my heart. And after that, another person comes in my heart. And recently, I went to my neighbor. Her husband got ill about the same time Pastor Barry did, but her husband's still lingering on, and he's, uh, you know, problems with his mind, and he's bedridden. And I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to go. The reason I'm not, can't take, that he's not passing over is because I want him to be born again. And if you don't go, you know, he'll linger so long. And I'm like, great, I never did this before. And so I call the lady. I go down. She's totally open. I explained to her. I said, I've never done this before, but I feel like God can't release him even in this situation that he's in until he'd have the opportunity to receive the Lord. And I'm just telling you, he was a Jew. She said he's a Jew, so, you know, he's not born again. And so she just gave me free reign to go and to explain the best I could, and I, and I said to him, and he, he, would, he went out for a little bit, but then he came back in the sense of consciousness, and I said, do you believe, da-da-da-da, and he just definitely emphatically said yes. I, he said yes, yes, so I'm like, hallelujah. So, 
then I had one of those. God's, you know, God honors it. You know, God honors it, and I've had one. Um, I played pickleball with her for two years. She's originally from Taiwan. And we were at a uh, social event, and she sat with me beside me. And it was one of those where, how can I be saved? You know, the jailer uh, with um, Silas and Paul. And the jailer says, how can I be saved? And she sat down beside me, and she was just like, I need to change my life. That all I've been zeroing in on is just making money and and working on my health. And, you know, and she actually on her own gone to a church the week before. And so anyway, I've got to lead her to the Lord. And she's become one of my best friends. Travis and Kier met her. She's just one of a kind, full of energy. Uh, she's younger than me. So when I don't feel like going to the gym, she, <laughs> she motivates me. So I, I thought, you know, I've been released in the health faith for my health, and being, releasing my faith to be a soul winner, and now the two have come together, and I have my own personal trainer that's on my case if I don't get to the health club. All right, I just want to share one more story. Because this happened recently. Um, Another couple I just met, they just moved into our neighborhood, and uh, he likes to talk about current events, and he's conservative and, and politics and so forth. And we just kind of hooked up. We just connected. And he goes to me and he says, we were just at this meeting last week, and it's called Open Forum. And anybody can come. All you have to do is raise your hand and be acknowledged. And you can say anything you want to say. And uh, you can't debate, can't argue with anyone. And they go, do you want to go with me? Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that sounds interesting. I'll just go and just check it out and just see what people are thinking, you know. And so, uh, you know, the, the co- so I'm there and I'm listening. It's about 60 people in this room. And they're talking about uh, everything from the, you know, banking and uh, just everything. How can I say the broads? Um, uh, what do you call the al- aliens? Just, it was going all over the place, okay? So then this one man says, well, does anyone know why there's so much, hearing so much about blood sacrifices? And... Uh, I heard, the whole, I heard the voice of the Holy Ghost say, you know. <laughs> and then the Holy Ghost just started coming on me, just like he would do in a church service, and started forming the words. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and like, Holy Ghost, are you going to say something? And, and, you know, and I knew if I didn't, I'm going to be most miserable the rest of the day. It's not going to be good. So I just, and you know, too, an authority kind of raised up with, within me when you hear people and where they're at. I'm like, I got more truth in me than these people. It, it, like it was a sense of I know I have truth. So anyway, I stand up and I, I so I tell them my background and I said, obviously, I'm going to come from a biblical worldview. I'm saying everything that you're seeing happening today is all in the Bible, the one world system, the mark of the beast. And I, I, I'm, I'm going on and I say, and I said, it's <clears throat> just really a time to make sure you're prepared for uh, Jesus's return. And so I'm going on. I, I, it just was flowing out of me. And then I, I sit down and someone else shares something. And all of a sudden, I didn't even think about it. I just got back up. I said, one more thing to say. I said, the first time Jesus came as a general sacrificial lamb. But just let, let, me, let me tell you, when he comes back this time, he is coming as a lion with fire in his eyes. And I sat down. And I'm thinking, honest to, no, this is honest. You know, I'm, I'm honest before the Lord. I thought, who in, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, who in the world is this person? <laughs> it was just the transforming power and grace of God on the inside. Well, his work, it was his working. And I heard the Lord say to me, he said, this will be your final thrust, you know, of just 
being, he said, if you make sharing the gospel a priority, there is nothing that I will withhold from you. But the thing is, now that I'm in this place, it's like the things I might have wanted in the past just aren't important. They just kind of rolled away somewhere. And it's like this has become such an adventure. And, and what I've experienced is nothing compares to the joy that you experience in sharing the gospel. There's just nothing like it. And I don't lead every person to the Lord. I think you need to be led by the... Sometimes you just... Actually, I feel like the Lord told me just some really practical things. I can't go into a lot of those. Maybe I need to share, come back another time sometime. But I've learned a lot of practical things. And you just need to practice engaging conversation. Sometimes you, you get um, compliments or something just rises up and you don't say it. Say it. You know, encourage people. You'll never know where the conversation's going to go. I was just down at the Jewish Community Center and I was sitting in the lobby uh, and this man was there. I sat down beside him. We engaged in conversation. And there's a beautiful um, 3D mural honoring the Holocaust victims. I mean, it's really awesome. And we're sitting there and we're talking. And all of a sudden he says, are you Jewish? <laughs> wow, that's pretty easy because I'm going to say, no, I'm not. But I said, I'm a born-again Christian. According to John 3, Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you, you need to be born again. And so it just went like, it was totally set up by the Holy Ghost. And maybe I just got a little bit in, but I I had such a sense that God is pleased. He's like proud of us when we do that. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to wrap this up here. Um, appropriate word for this season, I believe, is fire. And you remember last week I was talking about, I went through the Old Testament and was just highlighting some stories with fire. But I didn't share one. And that was when the priests were offering up sacrifices. And they would put the animals, the sacrifice, on the altar. And when they were all prepared, when they were all finished, and they had prepared the sacrifice, they put it on the altar, then the fire fell. Do you hear what I'm saying in the spirit? So we went... It's not about, oh, let's jump up and down. The fire's coming. It's positioning yourself to receive the fire. And there's a place where we got to get on the altar. And I'm not promising that, you, that, that it'll be easy to get the flow going. I'm not promising that your flesh won't squeal like a little piglet at times because you don't know what's going to happen. And it is an adventure. And it is risk taking but I'll tell you it is worth it it is worth it so um, I think in closing what um, just real quick uh, two things I just want to encourage you um, I've had to what I do now that kind of helps me stay in this flow is I read books by evangelists more because there's an anointing on them. They are especially gifted. I'm not, I'm not an evangelist. I wasn't especially gifted. But there's a tang anointing. Uh, the tangibility of anointing is transferable. So I read more books by evangelists. I also um, listen to stories about hell, people that have gone to hell. Because the devil's right there to like, you know... Just totally take it out of the picture in our Christian lives. We get so busy. We have responsibility and so forth. But I'll tell you, it makes a difference when you, the, the reality and the revelation that hell is a real place. And so um, what I felt to do this morning is um, we have anointing oil. I just felt like I was to open the altar and... Those that you're really serious that, that you're going to respond to this call and you're going to make any adjustment or changes in your life so that you will have this heart for the lost and that you'll, you'll obey him. Because it's all about just hear, hearing the directives of the Lord. And 
I feel like we're at the place, remember Peter, how tired he was. He fished all night. He toiled. He did everything he knew in the natural, and it just didn't work. And then Jesus says one word, one directive, and he hits the jackpot. And that's what I'm saying. It's not hard. Once you get that, you commit to doing this, God will direct you. He knows your days. You do, do you know what I'm trying to say? And I feel like that's where we're at. We, we've heard, I'm just so, you know, you, you hear another message about soul winning or harvesting and you just shut down because I've done this. I've tried this. It's just, I, I, it's not fun. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? But I believe we're in a new season. And if you will put your life on the altar to obey the God, to obey God in this season, I believe the fire will come, the fire of his love, the fire of faith, fire of enablement and empowerment and, and, and provision. So don't come if you're, you might have to still process this. You know, I, I, you know I, I said, you know, fire's coming. So remember the same fire that was releasing the signs and wonders and healings also was when Ananias and Safari lied to the Holy Ghost and got in trouble. So I feel like we need to be really sincere of our heart. Our heart, our heart is I want to be in this last day harvest. I want to be a part of it and God will honor that. So what we're going to do is I'm going to open the altar. If that is you, I am going to anoint you with oil and that is going to be your point of contact. Say, God, I am putting myself on the altar and I am giving myself to you And Lord, do this work in me.